when you do compromise on things, it's genuine and it's not fundamentally or existentially untrue to who you are. I think that's when resentment and bitterness comes in. I'm Krati Mehra and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Goals. This is episode number 28 and we are talking to Julie Nguyen, who is a writer, trauma-informed relationship coach and former matchmaker based in New York City. Unless you've worked with Julie or you are an avid mind-body reader, you may not be familiar with Julie's work because she maintains a very low-key online presence, something we talk about during the episode. Um, But for your benefit, here's a little introduction about Julie. Over several years as a matchmaker, Julie has interviewed thousands of eligible singles and provided a high-touch, intuitive service to growth-oriented clients of all ages, backgrounds, and sexual orientations. During her time working for feminist and boutique matchmaking firms, she focused on client experience, match scouting, dating feedback, coaching, personality profiling, and image consulting. And while she enjoyed curating love connections, she became more passionate about the relationship coaching aspect of the business. Julie felt that she could help people nurture healthy relationships that endure over the years and through different phases of life. She loved advocating and working with clients who wanted to develop a deeper understanding within themselves and question the whys behind their love ideologies and beliefs instead of just wanting the perfect on-paper matches. And to further develop those interests, Julie went on to receive her relationship coaching credentials in intimacy, sex, and communication, and is now focused on building a relationship coaching practice with liberation, pleasure, and anti-racism at its core. In her writings as well, she explores relationships, dating, psychology, sex, and culture. And our guest is currently heading up Hello Giggles monthly sex column, Sex IRL, and advising for relationship startup companies. You'll learn more about her during the episode, which covers a whole lot about relationships, finding the right partner with or without those pesky checklists, resolving past trauma, communication struggles, and sustaining a healthy relationship, and more. So let's dive in. First of all, let me thank you for making time for this conversation because I've been looking forward to it a lot. Of course, of course. I was really looking forward to this conversation. I checked out your podcast and it's really cool work that you're doing. So I'm grateful to be included. Awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. And thank you for being a part of the show. And I have to say, because I'm an avid Mind Body Green reader, I've been aware of your work for a long time, even before I had the podcast. I'd read uh, some of your work. I'd been on your website as well. The thing is, though, that I didn't find you on Instagram. And I didn't find you as much on Google either. I mean, you have a very low-key online presence, which is, unless it's intentional, it's crazy to me because your work is amazing. So (laughs) care to give me some insight as to why that is? Yeah, thank you for saying that. And that's a very intentional act on my part. Um, I just have a very complicated relationship with social media. And I've worked at past companies where that was a part of my job role. So it felt like work to me. 
And I think that's something I'm still, I have this complicated relationship with Instagram because I feel like Instagram really values and prioritizes people that have a very curated life and it's very appearance forward. It's very much about living that perfect life. And I just don't identify with that. Like, I'm just not like that as a person. I'm messy. I'm imperfect. I'm not like always living that like hashtag Instagram life. So it, I never felt like a platform that I could relate to. Um, so a lot of the work that I've been doing with like writing and my relationship coaching has been purely through word of mouth. And that's been a really interesting way for me to find leads. But yeah, like social media is um, definitely not something I'm super keyed into. And it's very purposeful. <laughs> okay. So I don't disagree with you about Instagram. I don't disagree with you about the social media bit either, because I, I felt the same way uh, till a few years ago, or in fact, till like a couple of years ago. But I am very present on social media now. And I think you just have to find some kind of balance and a way to reach out to the right kind of people. Because as you said, I'm messy too. I hate <laughs> nothing more than putting on makeup for the sake of a picture and yes. then taking it off. Because I don't know, the whole process of it seems so fake. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so artificial. <laughs> it is so artificial. <laughs> yes. But somehow I have found people who don't care about any of that stuff. They're there for your to learn from you and that's it. So I really hope that someday you reach a point where you are, you find like a balance, you know, where you can be yourself and still get your message across because you have so many awesome things to say. And I think the world needs to hear that. Oh, I really appreciate that. I feel like TikTok has been an interesting medium that I've been thinking about just because like the very nature of TikTok is irrational and it's funny and it's very off the cuff and it's people like in their bed, in their PJs. And I just relate to that medium so much more than Instagram. Instagram just feels intimidating and it feels like you're just doing things for likes and um my anxiety also like can't really deal with that that's something that just makes me feel deeply uncomfortable so I've been like taking a healthy detachment from it but I definitely want to get into it like what you said just to kind of like meet other people and be involved in community more yeah and I only share like uh, shareable content now like my posts I don't put put up my own pictures it's all about hey how to do more of gratitude how to do more of xy thing that's going to help you with your emotional health that sort of thing I never put up like fancy pictures of myself because I used to do that and that made me kind of resentful so I don't do that anymore so anyways <laughs> I mean for that's me, exciting yeah, yeah I'm really proud of you for even like making that connection with yourself yeah because I have anxiety yeah. too yeah and I would post something and then I would throw my phone on my bed and I would run out of the room because I would be so afraid that if I stick around I'm gonna delete it and <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally yeah. relate to that for sure <laughs> it's fine I fully accepted that part of myself <laughs> Putting that aside, for the sake of the, uh, the listeners who are not as aware of your work, uh, do you mind giving us a quick introduction? Absolutely. Uh, so over the last decade, I've been toggling back and forth between working for nonprofits and technology startups um, in the city uh, during operations or marketing functions or working as a matchmaker and just doing anything and everything I could in the relationship space. Um, 
I just always felt like I responded more to creative, intuitive careers that allowed me to expand on an emotional level. But there was a part of me, a louder part of me, that was the daughter of immigrants that wanted success in that conventional way. And that carried more weight, which is why like my career path is very, it feels very oppositional, like working in tech and marketing and then working in relationships and something more emotional, like matchmaking. Um, and my parents and their validation and approval meant a lot to me and it still means a lot to me. So I think that whenever I worked in a really abstract field, I just felt like I need to get back into doing something that was conventionally successful. And I just felt like I couldn't have that job that I wanted for myself. So I responded by buying into that like hustle and grind culture of capitalism that New York City is very popular for, which is having that nine to five, and then also having a five to nine. So it's like the best of both worlds, I thought at the time, like the resume building and going after the career that looks good and sounds good. And then working in the relationship space that genuinely lit me up and was actually regenerative to know that I was helping people. And I was forced to come to a conclusion or kind of choose a side after the pandemic. Uh, last year, I was working at a nonprofit that I really, really loved. And it was a job that I was very passionate about. But it was during the pandemic, I got furloughed. And that was shocking for me because around that time, that was when I was just opening up my LLC for my relationship coaching. And it was just really intense for me to kind of realize that I had been using work as a distraction for me to like realize what I really wanted for myself. And I didn't have that thing that I had tied my identity around anymore. So my body just kind of psychosomatically was like, you need to rest, you need to stop. And it just kind of allowed me to take a moment to reset and realize that like, okay, I can work, but I only want to work and do things that fill my resources and not deplete it. So like now that's kind of what started me reaching out and like doing writing and like really figuring out my relationship coaching practice and the values that I want to build into that. Um, so that's where I'm at currently. That's amazing. I think a lot of people will relate to that, uh, that, that, that sort of that scheme of growth. I think a lot of people will relate to your story because we've all been there, right? We've all wanted the job that looks good to our parents, makes them proud, but at the same time trying to pursue what really speaks to our soul. So I think we've all done that. Yeah, yeah. I was I was guilty of falling into that trap for sure. Yeah, but you made it. You made it to the other <laughs> side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've worked as a matchmaker and you work as a relationship coach and you write about relationships. So you do, you know, all kinds of research into it, I'm sure. So are there any traits that you notice in people that they are that are sort of typical to most people across cultures that sort of sabotage their relationship? I think. That's a great question. And that's why I think it's really important that in my relationship coaching, it's trauma informed, because I think trauma is a really big block into how we get into relationships, how we perceive relationships and how we exit out of relationships. And I think that a lot of that is very, it's a really big blind spot, because people are not aware of the trauma that they're bringing from their parents and their upbringing and even society and what society dictates from us and who they want us to be and how that can change the way that we naturally want to interact with the world. That's really, really traumatic. And we don't realize that by us acquiescing and kind of like abandoning parts of ourselves that we 
that we love and we find natural in service of like fitting into the world, that's really, really painful. And we can bring that into relationships. Uh, I noticed with me and my work, um, trauma was kind of like the invisible blind spot that a lot of people didn't recognize that they were bringing into their relationships. And it was impacting the way that they were choosing their partners or choosing their love philosophy and how they wanted relationships to be for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure because we do how we choose our partner is informed a lot based on the childhood experiences we've had in fact not just childhood experiences the experience that we continue to have in our adulthood as well and I know that you wrote an article about micro traumas and relationships so uh, care to talk a little bit about it because when you say trauma I think people always think of sort of extreme incidents that can happen to you but that's not actually true trauma has you know more than one meaning here so can, can you care to explain that please Absolutely. And I think there's a really good book that I love. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. It was written by a doctor. Um, and he talks a lot about how trauma, people think about PTSD as something only war veterans have the experience of going through. It's very typical to like imagine that. But trauma, there's a lot of traumatic experiences that we can have in our past that we wouldn't perceive it is being traumatic. And it could be growing up in an environment where your parents yelled at you. It could be growing up in an environment where education or teachers weren't being mindful of you. Um, There's a lot of really, there's a lot of situations in life that I feel like people have completely normalized and they think it's okay, but it's actually really traumatic to their body. It's traumatic to how our brain is creating pathways. Um, When I wrote that article, I interviewed the person who wrote the book about microtraumas and she went into how things like being really excessively nice could be traumatic because you don't know how to interact with someone that is sincere or potentially insincere. There's traumatic people who are stuck or resigned to their lot in life and they complain about it, they talk about it, and to be around them, to be in community with them could be really exhausting to say like, hey, I see where you're at. I see that you don't want to change where you're at. And it's really hurting me to watch you do that. And I can't change anything about you. And I don't want to change anything about you because it's up to you to do it. I think those situations in life, we don't put enough credence into them. We don't realize the impact of them. Um, And then it leads us to kind of navigating our life with that blind spot of like not seeing that this is something that's actively influencing our decision making and the way that we're perceiving the world it's not as pure as we think it is this is amazing and so fascinating and i know for a fact people are not very aware about this uh and is there a way that you would recommend to people that they can sort of run an assessment on themselves they can identify that there may be some subconscious uh you know beliefs or there may be some trauma that may be cluttering their relationships or keeping them from having a healthy relationship absolutely i think a really good way to do it is like if you're not into therapy you should definitely get into therapy because i think seeking professional help is just so important it's people that are educated that understand this, that I've worked with lots of people who are dealing with similar problems that you could be dealing with. And it just feels really nice to have a dedicated space for an hour each week when you're talking to someone about things that feel very personal and shameful to you and to have it be acknowledged by a mental health professional as like, this is okay, this is necessary, and this is what you need to do to move towards growth. I think that's so important. But if people are not ready to to do therapy, I think self-help is really important. And it's just 
finding books and resources and podcasts like this where you can educate yourself and just understand a little bit more about who you are and your relationship to these factors that could be dominating your life in a really invisible way. So I definitely recommend um, those resources. Also like talking to friends and family, um, not to the point of like using them as a therapeutic resource because that's not their job to handhold you through that. I think it's just really important to talk to them about like things that are important to you and vulnerable to you. And I think opening up those conversations can access different types of knowledge and ways of being. Okay. Uh- but every time you recommend therapy to someone, to you, it's you can see for a fact that this person needs therapy. This person can use a little help. But anytime I recommend it to certain people, they'll be like, I don't need therapy. I'm, I'm all good. I'm, I'm so healthy. And my life is doing, look at my life. I'm doing great, right? Because people always look at the external factors in their life. And that's how they assess whether they are healthy or not. When someone like you would know that that's not actually true. There could be a ton of things happening inside your brain that have nothing to do with how you perform in the world. And they show up in other ways that may not be so visible to you. So for people like that, is there something you can suggest to them that would help them recognize that maybe there's something a little bit more going on here? Absolutely. And I feel like, I mean, that's a really great question because that we can only meet others as deeply as we have met ourselves. And I think that's really, really important. If people are not in that a space where they feel self-aware enough to be able to realize like, hey, mental health is a priority for me and therapy is could be a really interesting avenue for me to take, for me to dive into myself. I think that it's really hard for someone to take on that burden of being like, hey, I think that therapy is really important to you because it happens when people feel like they're in a place to participate in it and actually get the benefits from it, from being really open. So it's hard for me to suggest ways where people can propose that because I don't want people to feel shamed or to feel um like back to show corner that someone is noticing something in themselves that they can't see. I think that's also like a really, that could be a really emotionally intense place for people who maybe aren't as self-aware. So I think unfortunately and fortunately what does happen is people will be in a situation or they'll hit a crossroads where therapy comes in a play as like an intervention before a crisis yeah. instead of being this thing that you're doing ongoing maintenance with, which is how I think people that want to build a healthy relationship with themselves see therapy as they're like I go to the gym for my physical health I go to therapy for my mental health and they just don't have any of that meaning make it about them or how they're being perceived because they're taking part of it and I think that's a really important distinction to make right that makes sense and I think a lot of us go to therapy when we are sort of our life compels us to and that's like the only option open. I think none of us, even people who are very self-aware, even they can sometimes miss the signs and end up in a situation where therapy is really the only thing they're left. But hopefully, I think what you've shared will help people to, you know, notice signs and uh, maybe ask for help before they are forced into it. And But if somebody is, uh, they are choosing a partner or going on dates and, you know, meeting new people, what can help you choose the right partner for yourself? That's a great question. And I could answer this in a few different ways. To your point, I feel like this question should be seen in a more like low stakes way because we can choose various partners that are right for us in different points of our life. 
And that's just as meaningful as any other connection. And I think when we put so much stock on like, this is our person, this is our one soulmate, it gives us tunnel vision. And the other people we meet on our journey just do not matter because you don't see them as being end game, but they're essential to you being on that path you need to go to. So I think that's a really important consideration. Yeah. And I truly believe that we attract people that are in similar stages of our healing journey. And that's not something that can be rushed or compared to other people. Uh, sometimes when we're in that place of scarcity, we attract people who then slip into that unhealthy dynamic. And it feels like a key slipping into a lock because it feels so natural. We saw our loved ones maybe modeling that dynamic or we saw it on TV, even though that dynamics were extremely unhealthy. And to me, like I've worked with a lot of people who would tell me, I'm always attracting emotionally unavailable people. I always attract cheaters. I always attract liars. And they would place the blame on the other person. And I totally get that because there's anger and you want to channel it towards something. But I think where growth begins is when we start to realize our place in the dynamic and how we also might be perpetuating it. And I think that's a really interesting shift when we realize we can take accountability and we can move to a place of abundance where we then begin attracting relationships and friendships that are just full of all of this creative possibility. And I think that possibility, it, as you know yourself more, you just dial into it and it becomes about like, how does this person feel when I'm around them? Not what does this person look like? What is their education? What can they do for me? What need are they meeting for me that I haven't met in myself? Like those questions kind of go away the more that you know yourself because you can offer yourself those very things. And I think that love is this wildly intangible thing, but we try to make it tangible by controlling it or wanting certain things from it, but we just can't control something that's so ethereal as that. That's why we have poetry, art, music and tv about love we're just trying to capture a feeling and that feeling is by its nature like inescapable from words so i think that love is just an act of imagination that two people have to dream about together and if you're forcing it and you're like having a go after a really specific outcome you can get there but you would miss out on all of the other unexpected things that can occur I don't know if that answers your question. Okay. <laughs> it it does, but I have like this leads me to ask you this other question. You know, people and I've always thought of it as sort of a narrow way to approach things, but I don't know. Um, maybe I'm wrong. But you know how people draw checklists. Mm. So what answer you've just given me kind of supports where what I think about it. I find it very narrow, a very narrow thing to do. And I think one person can have a healthy relationship with people of all kinds as long as you know you're willing to put put work into it. But what do you think about those checklists? Is that a good starting point? Because I think you can only find the right partner when you go out there and you meet people. But still a checklist, is there any point to it? I've also like been I've also been meditating on this very question as well, because I feel like a lot of my friends and the clients that I work with, they have a checklist where they're like, I know exactly what I want in a partner. I know how I want the partner to feel. And I, I do respect that, like putting it into putting everything that you've thought about, about relationships in your past and your lessons and putting it into a list and being very specific about 
the type of qualities and traits they want to bring into you. I for sure respect that. I don't. And, and let's let's remember that people who believe in manifestation use those checklists to sort of focus their mental energy into it. <laughs> they, they totally do. And I think yeah. that it's like, I've worked with a lot of clients when I was matchmaking too, because when you reach out to your matchmaker, you are at that point of your journey where you're like, I know exactly what I want. This is what I want. And what I found really interesting about matchmaking is we would never give people exactly what they want because what they want is not always what they need and what they focus on if it's superficial like looks education um personality to some extent i think that could be a really it could be a damaging way to date because you're so hyper focused on things that might not matter to you as much you're not like in the room anymore you're interviewing them like the job it feels like a job. Like you feel like you're not on a date, you're on a job interview and you have to impress the person and the person just doesn't take on like a personal quality. Like you don't see them for who they are. You see them for how you can meet them. I think that's when checklists get dangerous. I think it's really important when you're like, hey, I know what I want, but I'm also willing to throw out half the list if I meet someone because they make me laugh. They make me feel safe. They make me feel seen. And that matters more to me than them being six feet tall. Like that is not important to me. Like when you're able to put some of that stuff away because you can see the person in front of you and engage with people on an individual level, I feel like that's totally fine. But if you're using it as like, if you don't meet this, you can't come into my life. You can't, I'm not going to be able to engage with you in a full way. I think that's when you're missing out on so much. Um, And I think that's when dating just becomes not fun. And I think that's what people experience when they date and they're like, I can't find the person. It's because they just keep measuring them up against this checklist that, yeah, it just does not feel fun to be in the presence of that. Okay, for someone who really cares about how the other person looks, like there are people who need their partner to look a certain way and they care enough about it for that to become a problem if they were to date someone who doesn't quite fit their idea of good looking do you think then in those cases it would be prudent for them to uh, initiate a relationship with someone who doesn't meet that particular requirement yeah for sure and i've i've dealt with a lot of clients in matchmaking that had that and they were very like hey like it's important that they have the educational background that I'm looking for they have like the family upbringing that I'm looking for they have the values I'm looking for but I have to be attracted to them and it's a no-go if I'm not and that's also valid it could be like their dating experience it's not something that I judge or something that I'm like hey you need to be coached out of this because that's how they perceive it and if they want to find a different way for looking for their partner and they're like hey I want to be more interested in like emotional I want to be more interested in like just getting to know a person and seeing if sparks can fly after we develop a slow relationship they can move in that direction but if looks are a really big deal it's going to be really hard to convince anyone not to focus on it or not to be concerned about it because it's such a priority for them yeah because i do i do agree with you that if this person sometimes what happens is we have a we have a type right but then we end up meeting someone who's so who clicks with us to an extent or so great uh around us with us and we're we're we feel like at our best when we're with them that suddenly the type doesn't matter anymore but 
And in the grand scheme of things, you would like to believe that somebody's wealth and somebody's educational qualifications and good looks or, you know, wouldn't or how they look wouldn't matter. But but have you ever seen cases where that's not how things turned out as a matchmaker, as a relationship coach, where that checklist continued to be in play and sabotage thing? Oh, for sure. Yeah. That was one of the reasons why I decided not to be a matchmaker when I was thinking about like, should I do relationship coaching? Should I do matchmaking? And I think it's because when you've reached that point where you want to hire a matchmaker, you're not interested in being coached as much. You're very specific about what you want and you know what you want and you want someone to give you what you want. And that relationship doesn't allow for a lot of creativity where we're like, hey, could I suggest a really interesting individual that I met them in person. I know that you would really vibe with them energetically. You guys have a lot of things in common. You guys would laugh at the same jokes they're not going to be as interested in that because they're still so hyper-focused on that list. And there's and once you've reached that point, you can only give them what they want. And it's only after they realize, I keep getting all of these amazing people. They all look so perfect on paper. And I go on that date and nothing. And I don't know where that nothing is coming from. And then that's when there's that like moment when you, you can say like, okay, let me suggest another date that could be really interesting, make it fun for you again, and make you realize that there's a lot of other people in the universe that may not match your list perfectly, but there are people that you could really get along with. So that's like an opening for them to try something new. Um, but in matchmaking, it's very, very, I wouldn't say there's a lot of like paths for being super creative unless the client is interested in that approach. Um, and I worked at two different matchmaking firms where one was like a feminist matchmaking firm where we worked with women above the age of 35, which not a lot of people did in New York City. And then I worked at another matchmaking firm that was very high end, super like uber high touch service where like the clients knew exactly what they wanted. And they were like, I don't want anything else than this list. And it's just interesting to navigate with both different types of people yeah i what i'm getting here is that if you know you were to open your mind allow yourself to go with the flow and let things pan out the way they would i think then things could work out but if you were to stubbornly stick to that list then maybe you'll miss out on all the signs of what a great relationship you have i think that that may be something and self-awareness plays uh, like a big role in relationships for everyone i think right i I think so. Yeah. So self-awareness, I think, I, and I know we're going to talk about this, but before that, I ha had another question when you were talking about uh, the, the checklist thing. I had another question. So there's such a thing as wanting a certain kind of person, but I, you know, they always say that if you're not in the right frame of mind for something, the opportunity may come along and you'll end up missing it completely. So I'm like, I believe that the right time to enter a relationship is when you don't need one. You know, you actively want a relationship, but you don't need it. You're good in your own, uh, you know, being on your own. You're good rolling solo. That's the ideal time. But that's me. Right. So according to you, someone who is a relationship coach, do you think that there is like a right mindset or right time in your life to venture into a relationship? I don't. I feel like it's very and people are always you can enter relationships at any time for whatever reason, at whatever commitment level. And I think if it's necessary to do that for you, I applaud people on that journey. I think that that's something that they need to 
figure out or get out of their system. Um, but to your point of what you were saying, it's really interesting to me when I see certain people looking for a partner, when it's so clear, they can discover so much within themselves. And a lot of people have this hunger for more. And they target it at relationships or jobs or money or the right apartment. And it just leads to this perpetual dissatisfaction with the present moment of people really being like, okay, I really want to be vulnerable and I really want people to get to know me. And I've worked with people who truly have it all. Like they have the penthouse um, at Central Park. They have the job. They have the assistance. They have all of these things. And we can even find them a partner. And they think it's happily ever after at that point. But that's really just the start to their journey. Because dating is fun. Being in a relationship is the hard work. And I don't think a lot of people, it's flipped in our society. Like people think that finding a relationship is when you can just relax and things are easy. And I think that's when you really have to ramp up your communication skills and like, okay, do our values align? Um, yeah, so I really do think people are honestly ready for commitment at any point in their life. But if you're really looking for a long-term connection with someone who meets all of these things, like the right timing in the right place, there's an honesty that has to occur. And that deep knowing only comes into play when you know yourself and the intimate workings of your mind because it colors so much of what you do and what you carry and you bring into relationships. And I think it's also extremely important to figure out your boundaries and non-negotiables and value systems before someone else comes into the picture. So it organically comes from you and the person that does come into your life that matches that, it, it feels easy. It doesn't feel like, a lot of work to like, okay, this doesn't matter to me, I'm going to toss it out the window. You're like, wait, no, this is a deal breaker. I really need someone like this. And if you can't meet that, I probably shouldn't get involved with you. I think that's like a really good bouncer to make sure that you're entering the right commitments. Okay, this is this was awesome. There's so much learning here. So we can be ready for commitment at any point in our life. Uh, our life does not have to look any particular way for that to happen. But we have to be willing to do the work regardless of how complete we think we are or, you know, how we however much we need to focus on our own life. We can learn through the through our partner as well. So even if you're not in a great place in your life, you can continue to grow even with your partner or, you know, you could be complete in your own right and still have like some more growth because of the partner you've chosen. And as long as you are do, willing to do the work. Right. Absolutely. Great. Awesome. For someone who is really struggling in their life, they find a partner. And I'm asking this question, taking into account that the partner could bring a lot of growth in their life too. But there's always work to be done. You know, you have to do work on your own independently as well. So considering that, how does a person continue to balance their relationship, even as they focus on their own growth and do the work that the relationship needs and do the work they need as an individual? That's another really great question. I think it's it comes when you just continue to honor yourself and how you consider the other about compromising on your own sense of self. You may not know yourself very well, but I think it's important to not have it be this codependent thing where like their growth interferes with your growth or your learning comes at their learning. Like it's very much this interdependent dynamic where you're doing it on yourself and the relationship is growing on its own. So when you do compromise on things, it's genuine and it's not fundamentally or existentially untrue to who you are. I think that's when resentment and bitterness comes in. It's like I 
suppressed a part of myself that was me for you. No one asked to do that. No one, like, if I think if the person knew, they wouldn't have been like, I did not want you to give that part of yourself away. But a lot of people that are in that growth process, like you were mentioning, they might not even be aware of it. So I think it's really important that the relationship has a lot of grace and it feels like a safe space to safely name your needs and to have your needs change the next day and to have your partner be really accepting and like willing to sit with you as you go through that because you do that for them. I think you've just shared a checklist for the relationship. We may not <laughs> we may not hold on to that partner checklist, but I think you've just given the listeners a checklist for the relationship. And what I have to say that you know sometimes what happens is that you are struggling and then you initiate a relationship and of course there's added burden to that relationship. So, and a lot of people struggle with it. Not everyone knows of resources that can help them out of that situation. They don't know, they or they never think of relationship counseling. They would never suggest it to their partner or, you know, self-help books or that sort of thing. So are there any exercises you suggest people take up? Because I'm all for practical solutions here. If there are any exercises you would recommend they take up independently, they take up with their partner, anything that can help. For sure. I think that there's two things that I could answer with and... For me personally, I'm a really big fan of personality tests like attachment theory, love languages, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs. I'm starting to get into astrology as well. I think anything where you can get to know yourself better, as long as you don't use that system as like, this is my personality. I'm a Gemini and that's me. It's like, no, that just begins your journey of like figuring out what that means, what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. I think that's really essential. Um, And it's... You're a very fluid being and you're always changing. So I think when people affix their personality to things like that, you're no longer growing, even though you think you're growing because you learned all of this language about yourself. Um, I know for me personally, I love using the Enneagram because I feel like it's a personality test that points out unconscious motivations and it calls you in to learn more about yourself and how your childhood may have created certain defense mechanisms. It's a really fascinating way to interact with yourself. Another thing that I always recommend for couples is just creating a really like warm, inviting, distraction-free space to have relationship check-ins where honesty and vulnerability between both partners are encouraged and amplified. And it's asking questions like, what do you need from me? How do you feel I've done as a partner this week? How can I make you feel more loved? Is there anything incomplete that we need to talk about? And the partner could be like, it really angered me when you didn't do the dishes. And it make I make it mean that you're lazy and I don't want to see you that way. That's a story I'm telling you. I'm telling myself about you and I don't want to think that way. And the other person could respond in kind by just being really supportive to what they're saying because they're not making that complaint mean anything about them. And they could say like, hey, this is something I noticed when you and this is an example, like you don't walk the dog, I feel like I have to have all of the responsibilities of the house on my shoulders. And I really love that relationship check-in idea because I think it's a really safe way to emotionally share things that honestly bother you and that would come out in a fight, like later on. Because you know it would come out in a fight where you're like, okay, we're, I think you're lazy and you just kitchen sink and all of these things come into play and you're like, I've been keeping all of the stuff in my head about things that upset me and I'm finally going to tell you because I'm angry enough to express it and what do you do with that like how does the person respond to the fight gets away from you and it just becomes about fighting each other 
instead of fighting the problem. So I just really encourage like finding a safe time to just create a safe space to talk to each other about what's happening in the relationship and not having the person take it personally and just seeing it as a request for connection. And let me add my support to what you've just shared because about the personality test, especially because as I told you, I used to read your articles and Enneagram was something I'd never done up to that point. Or in fact, I, I, I did Enneagram because I, I'd heard a lot about it. Obviously your articles were, you know, one of the resources that mentioned that constantly mentioned Enneagram, but I didn't do it till I invited a guest on my show, hoping to learn through that guest about Enneagram. But I thought, you know what, you're inviting a guest on your show. You, you should at least do the test on your own. See what it's all about. <laughs> and I did it and I had a result, but it was not till I finished that interview that I was genuinely intrigued. And the way my guest presented it, it seemed like, oh my God, I got to get into this. And last, I think a couple of weeks back, I read all of your articles and I was like, now I know my Enneagram type. I can, you know, go and read all of those articles now. And oh my God, they're so on point. Like, obviously not everything is exactly, uh, you know, me, but so much (laughs) of it was completely on point. And I felt so understood. So anybody listening to this podcast, I would say that, you you got to take that Enneagram test and you have to read Julie's articles and, you know, do your test. And then when you come across communication opportunities in your relationship, use that as a base. I think that would be awesome. And you've shared some really, really great advice here, really great exercises here, because communication, I think, is the number one thing in any relationship, not just romantic ones. But I have to ask you this. I've got two points here. Do you think it's possible? Like this is this has been my experience. You know, you you can point out certain qualities in your personality that are extremely prominent in every relationship of your life. And you think this is who I am. And this can always be a tripping point in every relationship, every romantic relationship I have. But do you think it's possible? And I've experienced it. But do you think it's possible that you can have, you can meet someone new, have a relationship with them and have them bring out a completely different person in you? Absolutely. And that was something that I experienced with like my past boyfriends. When I wasn't self-aware, I would express myself through my partners. Like my high school boyfriend, I wanted, I really was in love with the idea of who he was. And the idea of who he was, was he was this musician, he was creative. And that was something that I was missing in my life. So I was really attracted because he not only exemplified those qualities, but he his life was guided by those principles that he had with creativity and songwriting and music. And I really, um, I was really, really attracted to that. And I, it wasn't until years later that I realized that connection. Um, so yeah, I absolutely believe that other people, when you date them, they bring out a side of you that you didn't know existed. And I think unconsciously there is an attraction that you don't know that's happening. That's interplaying with each other. Yeah. Sometimes I think that could be a great thing. My experience was a good one with this. But sometimes that could be a really terrible thing. I think you can lose yourself in that in a relationship of that kind. But do you think journaling or do you think maybe building a picture of the kind of relationship you want, what you deem to be a healthy relationship, where you think our boundaries would be crossed if that were to occur? Do you think having a picture of that, having that written down or visualized, that, that kind of thing could help people avoid those pitfalls? It could help people avoid those pitfalls. I would just caution people from using that as like 
they're a Bible. And like, this is what I need to live my life by. This is very, very strict. I think it's really important to name things. And it's really important to realize your priorities and what's important to you. And then to continue living your life. And I think that level of checklist and quantifying people through those categories and meeting people through algorithms, a lot of that is very detached and it just kind of removes yourself away from interacting with people. And I think that's what's missing, that disconnection of like intellectualizing everything. I know the partner I want. I think I know the person I am. But until you live it, like this is the person I am in relationships, I'm going to take it with me every day. I know I'm not always going to be perfect. I'm going to mess up. I might be messy about this. I know the person can at least respect that in me and I can live my life knowing that that checklist is not the end point. It's just the start of like this journey. Yeah, so you we have reiterated the up, uh, you know, uh, the last point that you made about the checklist. Don't be stubborn about anything. Don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn about some previously conceived ideas and continue working on self-awareness, continue communicating and be open to something new developing that you hadn't planned for that you didn't think would happen and and try to be okay with that and then let it play out. Is that is that close to uh, what you shared? Yeah, absolutely. I think that yeah, that's you summed it up. <laughs> but I think communication is challenging for a lot of people and you know a lot of us, a major majority of us avoid actively avoid confrontations. Even if we can see for ourselves that our relationship is dying because we wouldn't confront certain things, we still do it. So is there like a tactic that they can embrace? I am someone who goes for plain speaking. For me, that is that I don't want to like strategize my communication. I'm all for plain speaking. I'm a blunt person. I go for it. But that doesn't work for everyone, you know? So what do you suggest? Like, is there a tactic people can take up that can help them communicate if they're someone who, you know, they're afraid of some new thing coming up in a conversation? I think in that point, there's something called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And this was a theory developed by John Gottman. So there's four different horsemen that you could bring in a conflict. And one is criticism. One is stonewalling. One is defensiveness. And I think the other is criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And these are different communication styles that you can bring in a conflict. I've learned from Daniel Goldman's book that if contempt, um, I think it was, it said something like if a man starts stonewalling in a relationship continuously, then that relationship is on the verge of like being over. And if a woman constantly rolls her eyes in an act of contempt more than four times in a conversation, that relationship is about to die. So those are like contempt, that's contempt and that's stonewalling right there. Is is that something you've seen for yourself? Yeah, like I think that, and what I think the person was also talking about the study that John Gottman concluded because he noticed that if people displayed these styles and arguments, they were more likely to head for divorce. And it was like something that showed up and your relationship was kind of at the end of the cycle when it was like, okay, if you're criticizing your partner, you're no longer focalizing a complaint, you're attacking and belittling them. And there's like that distinction. It's not just like, this is constructive. It's like, I'm literally attacking your personhood because you're doing this thing I don't like and I'm making you feel bad about it. And contempt is when it's, it's when respect has degraded in the relationship enough where the person is like maybe being sarcastic or calling them names or like eye rolling or scoffing like that is really damaging in a relationship when you're looking for connection and defensiveness is when 
you can't hear it and you just keep rebounding it to the other person and you feel falsely accused and stonewalling is when the person is withdrawing from the connection and totally shutting down. So there's nothing you can get from them anymore. I think it's really important right. and essential in relationships to just kind of like have a handle on, okay, when I come in a conflict, I can stonewall and I need space and I need time to regulate myself. So if you come at me and you keep wanting to talk about the problem and I'm so overwhelmed on a physiological level that I can't even interact with you, the fight is going to tail. It's going to be a really bad fight because I'm going to do anything I can to get you away from me. And that includes yelling and kind of going into those bad fighting styles. So I think it's important to know, like, first, what's my relationship to conflict? And two, like, communication it's very awkward for me I feel very awkward being vulnerable but like I feel safe enough with you to share it and you can accept me when I'm trying at it if people feel that they won't feel this like pressure to feel like they need to communicate in a perfect way so you can be blunt and you can be bold and the other person's not going to hold it against you like she's being mean to me or she's like too straight, uh, she's too straight with me. And I really want her to be more loving about that. They're like, okay, like, this is how she communicates. I get that. I can tell her and then she can couch her language in some more love, like a criticism sandwich where it's like compliment, criticism, compliment, like you could do something like that, just so you can play right. off of their style. I think you have to be respectful. I mean, I'm I, you know, I shared with you that I'm all for plain speaking. But that could never be like, you could never use words like stupid or you could never use words like you were horrible or you no. were off. You can't, you can't do that. And yeah. it always has to be about what was done. And it can never be about the person because the person is capable of change. Even if you do think that this is something typical of them, they can still change. But you have to give them that opportunity. So I'll add that here because I think what you shared is amazing. And I've read, so I'd, I'd never heard about the theory, but this is, I think... Uh, a very popular paper, I think there was a paper published on it, a re this uh, research, and I'll share that in my episode description because I think it's it's really helpful. And I think, I don't know if this would work or not, but writing scripts sometimes helps. I do that in my personal relationship because with me, like, I'm <laughs> since I'm a writer, I just, like, I feel like if I'm in the moment, it's hard for me to realize what I want to say and the message I want to communicate without bogging it down with, like, stories about what he, it makes what he makes me feel I just don't want to get into that because then the argument will take a different direction so I'll write and then I'll just keep editing it until I'm like okay this is why I was frustrated and sometimes I will read it to my partner and I'm like this is exactly what it was please don't interrupt me I have a lot to say <laughs> <laughs> and then he responds in kind because he knows that's how I process information and yeah yeah so we work off of each other that way yeah I think this is a super helpful exercise I've done that too I practice when back when I was in therapy I used to practice that with my therapist we would because I was always very afraid that I'm gonna start crying yeah yeah and I get then, that <laughs> <laughs> and then the other person is torn between being angry at you with what you've just shared and then consoling you <laughs> sometimes I would say too like if I'm gonna cry just let me cry I just need to get yeah, through this yeah. point because then it's like I don't want them to like self-soothe me I'm like I'm just crying because I'm emotional like let me just have it yes. and move on from it yeah 
<laughs> yeah, I usually hold my hand up when somebody's moving to console me. I hold my hand up like I'm at a traffic crossing. Just, just, <laughs> One minute. Yeah. <laughs> this just happens every day. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean anything about this argument. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I think this part of our conversation makes relationships feel so challenging. But I think if you can master this, it is so amazing when you get on the other side because that relationship is going to become a game-changing part of your life. It's going to become like an asset, a massive support in your life. I agree. So I think people do use everything you've recommended and they implement that in, your, in their life. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, are you going to share yeah. something? Yeah, I was going to say that I think with anger, I think that's a really healthy emotion to express and it gives so much information that... Like when you're angry, you're honest. You can't help but be honest yes. because you're just wanting to express yourself. And you can say all of these things that you don't have to cover up with social niceties. I mean, not to the point of being like mean or caustic or too blunt, like not in service of that. But if you're using it and like, hey, this is how I'm feeling and you can channel it across. Anger is a really amazing emotion that gives a lot of information, resentment, bitterness. I feel like whenever you have those emotions, people tend to run away from it. They don't want to feel it because it makes them uncomfortable. I kind of advise to lean into it because then it's like, why am I uncomfortable? Why am I, why am I so angry? And then those questions lead you to different answers than you would if you just engaged with the first emotion you felt. Yeah. And how long are you going to keep denying that part of yourself? Keep repressing it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a skill like any other communication, this, you know, self-management, soothing, self-awareness. Uh, it's all of it. Every element of it is a skill like any other. The more you work at it, the better you're going to get. And life is long. Repression is not going to make things easy for you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. Um, now, are there any resources that you would recommend to people? Yeah, for sure. I would recommend The Body Keeps the Score. I recommend The Attachment Theory. I recommend Esther Perel's podcast. Um, I'm not sure what it's called, but she takes people into couple therapy sessions in real time. And I feel like that's a really important resource for people that want to know what it's like to have a therapist facilitating conversations with couples that are going through challenging topics. I think that's a really great way to introduce yourself to it. Uh, if you were to only give one advice to the listeners that can help enhance their life, what would that be? I would say that you can only meet people as deeply as you've met yourself. And that was something I spoke about it at the beginning of the it's podcast episode. It's worth repeating. Yeah, I just really believe that relationship the relationship with yourself informs everything that you do. And if you can operate from that place, you will be in a place of abundance and you will attract the relationships that you've wanted. And you just don't have to control or fight it into existence or just come naturally to you. And I know that's a very like woohoo answer because it's like, wait, what? But sometimes that there is a level of surrendering that I think is really important. So that was Julie Nguyen. I was so, so thrilled to have her on the show and I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you want the list of resources mentioned in this episode, you can get it on my website, search for the podcast episode and there should be a list of resources and links for you to explore. And if you want to get in touch with our guest, the page will have all their relevant information. Now, if you found today's episode useful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or share it on Instagram. It will help others find the information should they need it. Remember to tag me at mehra underscore krati 
so that I can thank you for your time. And if there is any particular issue or concern you would like for me to cover on the show, reach out to me on Instagram or use the contact page on my website. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself.